Pastor Chris's podcast. I should have said when we were praying for Pastor Chris being away, um, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if you threw me in that <laughs> mix too as I stand up here and try to feel those big old shoes that he feels every Sunday. But I was very honored that he asked me to, to fill in for him this morning. I told him that I was looking forward to giving the sermon this morning because this time frame better suits my gift of gab. Um, youth moments are fun, but I usually have way more to say than I can fit in a minute or two. And I always imagined, <laughs> I always imagined Tom sitting behind me, looking at his watch while I'm doing my youth moments, humming the tune to Jeopardy. You know, come on, let's move it on. But I did promise him, I've already promised him, that I would get him out in time for lunch. He may not be the first in line, but I'll get him out in time for lunch. <laughs> um, the scripture this morning is long. It's very long. But I'm going to read it. It's a quick read, but I feel like it all needed to be included um, for, for what I want to talk about. So um, we're going to read Psalm 107, starting at verse 1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others that he has redeemed you from your enemies, for he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless. Hungry and thirsty, they nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor. They fell and no one was there to help them. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food and they were knocking on death's door. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his glorious acts. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They, too, observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, and they were at their wits' end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into dry, thirsty land. 
He turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts into pools of water, uh, the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and to build their cities. They sow their fields, plant their vineyards, and harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. They raise large families there, and their herds of livestock increase. When they decrease in number and become impoverished through oppression, trouble, and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt on their princes, causing them to wander in trackless wastelands. But he rescues the poor from trouble and increases their families like flocks of sheep. The godly will see these things and be glad, while the wicked are struck silent. Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history and faithful love the love of the Lord. This is the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your head with me as I pray? Dear Lord, may the words that you have given me to speak this morning... Um, be received in the manner that you would have them to be by each and every person in the congregation today, Lord. We just pray that you would bless the service, bless the words, and bless all of those in attendance. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. So I feel honored that the Lord used words from Youth Sunday to inspire Pastor Chris to do a sermon series on the names of God. I have learned a lot through his sermons in this series, and I originally thought that it would be good to do a little recap of the names that he's preached about, but I quickly realized that while I've learned a lot, um, I may not have necessarily learned how to pronounce all of those names. So I did a sweet little slideshow. So if you look to your right and your left, if you need that recap, it's up there. <laughs> um, thankfully, Redeemer was not on his list, so I was able to snatch up my favorite name and... I'll be able to pronounce it throughout the service. So that's a win-win for me. Um, we all go by many names, which are generally also titles. I started out as Amy, but I also immediately became daughter, granddaughter, little sister, niece, cousin, and four years after I was born, I gained the title of big sister. As I grew older, over time, I became friend, and youth leader, aunt, fiance, wife, and my favorite name to date, mom, which in 14 short years progressed to bruh and dog. I don't know if you've spent any time with teenage boys, you, you feel that. Um, <laughs> and when I was thinking about what I wanted to do this morning, ever since Chris started the sermon series, this story has been at the forefront in my mind. This is where I talk about my mama. This is one of my favorite stories <laughs> on my mom, <laughs> and I had to sneak it in somehow. So many, many years ago, and you can correct me, mama, if I am wrong about the timing. Many years ago, the Mother's Day after my grandmother had passed away, all of the family went to my granddaddy's church to be with him and support him on the first Mother's Day without my grandmother. And so after the service, we're all visiting and talking to people, specifically my mom is talking to people she's not seen in years, and all of her kids were there, which sometimes is a rarity, so she was happy to have all of us there with her at my granddaddy's church. And so she, <laughs> I'm standing right beside my mom because 
my mom's my hero. I want to be wherever she's at, right? So my mom is talking to somebody, and she says, oh, yeah, yeah, the kids, the kids. Over there, over there, the tall, the big tall one, that's Bill. He's my oldest. And over there, standing over there, that's April. She's the baby. And this is the other one. So for many, many years, I've told that story to anybody that'll listen, anybody that'll listen. I've even said that if she passes away before I do, her tombstone will read, beloved mother of Bill, the oldest, April, the baby, and the other one. (laughs) The moral of that story is that names matter. If given the wrong name, You could have to live the rest of your life trying to live it down while your daughter finds a way to squeeze it into her Sunday morning sermon. This morning, the name that I want to focus on is Redeemer. When I looked up the word Redeemer under the Merriam-Webster website, this is what I found. Can Can you see what it says? Redeemer, someone who redeems, especially Jesus. If you look down on the bottom line, that's what it says, especially Jesus. I was excited to see that the secular Merriam-Webster dictionary acknowledges that the Redeemer is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But what does it mean that he is our Redeemer? I was curious what other people thought when someone mentioned the name of God, their Redeemer. And so I posed the question on Facebook last week, and I had a lot of good responses. Um, the responses were grace and forgiveness. He's always beside me. Unconditional love. Straightforward with no sugarcoating. How he takes a messed up life and makes it something worthwhile and special. We all have purpose. Always leading me in the way I should go and teaching me how to profit. All things should happen in not my timing, but his perfect timing. How he should have given up on me many times, and when I thought he had, he was actually creating a beautiful life for me. Thankful for him loving me when I'm so unlovable. Miracles. Making something beautiful out of something ugly. He loves me for who I am. His creation of our world is like an artist's canvas, breathtaking. And this one was probably one of my favorites. This, this lady said that she didn't choose to follow Christ because he was a better option or even the best option, but for her, he was the only option. What an inspiring day on Facebook to see my sweet friends share their love for their Redeemer. But what does it truly mean to redeem? I moved on to the word redeem, and these are the definitions for that. To buy back, to free from what distresses or harms, to free from captivity by payment, to extricate from or help to overcome something detrimental, to change for the better or reform, to repair or restore, to free from a lien by payment of an amount secured thereby, to remove the obligation of by payment, to make good or fulfill or to atone for. If you read that definition, To me, the first person I think of is Jesus Christ. He is my Redeemer. He has done all of those things. In the chapter that we read earlier, the psalmist speaks of wanderers and prisoners, the distressed and the storm-tossed, and how God rescues them. These four instances may be literal 
or figurative for situations we find ourselves in, even today. I would imagine that being lost in the wilderness could just as easily be referring to leaving the path of wisdom and truth. The lost, hungry, and thirsty could very well be referring to those who do not know God and are longing to be filled with the peace and joy that can only be found in Him. Just as the storm-tossed could be those who suffer through trials and have to ride out the difficult times before seeing the stillness of peace at the end of that hard journey. Think about those outstanding loans, the mortgage, the car payment, those horrible credit cards. Those are all in the here and now. We can feel the struggle at times to keep our head above water and have probably all at one point in our lives felt like there was no relief and we were drowning. Maybe finances aren't your hardship. Maybe you found yourself in a relationship that has led you away from God instead of closer to Him. Maybe you feel more committed to that toxic relationship than you do to God. You want to break free, but you just can't make yourself walk away. Maybe it isn't a relationship with someone. Maybe it's something. Perhaps you found yourself in the pit of addiction, and you don't think you're strong enough to overcome this thing that has a hold on you. You're probably not strong enough alone. These are all earthly problems, situations that we encounter while living in this fallen world. Yet somehow, God sees fit to reach down from his heavenly throne and pull his people through. I've witnessed him pulling people through who refuse to even acknowledge who he is because the prayers of faithful friends and family. Many years ago, one of my dearest friends at work suffered a miscarriage. My friend didn't believe in God. As is to be expected, she and her husband were distraught over the loss of their baby. I told her I was praying for her, and she got mad at me. Up until that point, she and I had gone to lunch together every day. And all it took was me offering prayer for the healing of her hurting heart for her to walk away from our friendship. She was offended by my offer of prayer since she didn't believe. And I couldn't think of anything more powerful than prayer because I do believe. A couple of weeks into the stress in our friendship, I wrote her a note and I left it on her desk explaining that I understand that she and I have very different views on religion and specifically Christianity. But I wouldn't stop praying for comfort and peace for her because I know what peace that surpasses all understanding feels like. I've experienced God restoring and repairing a broken heart, and that is what I so desperately wanted for my friend. I explained that praying for her wasn't meant to be some trivial response to her suffering, but the best way that I knew how to love her in that moment. I couldn't not share the ability of God to redeem my friend by freeing her of what distressed or harmed her to help her overcome something detrimental. Job. Job lost everything at the hand of Satan. And his suffering was precisely because he was blameless. God didn't stop Satan because he knew that Job's heart was devoted to him. And at the end of the trial, he would bless Job more than Job could ever 
imagine. Job's buddies kept suspecting that Job must have some secret sin that, he's, that he needs to repent of. And Job kept telling them, I'm not repenting because I know that my heart is pure. I've not done anything to cause all of this to happen. In the midst of Job's despair, Job spoke to his friend with authority. And in chapter 19 of Job, verses 25 and 26, Job proclaimed, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. Job was hurting. He was grieving. His heart was heavy. And he didn't understand why he was being tested in such a horrific way. But because he understood that God is our Redeemer, he believed that he would be restored. If not in this life, than in eternity. That is the peace that comes with truly believing that God is who he says he is and that he will fulfill his promises. Totally opposite of the story of Job, in the passage we read earlier, verses 17 through 20, reminds us that fools and rebels will suffer for their sins. But we are offered hope even when we have made a mess out of our lives. Because by receiving God's free gift of forgiveness, anyone can begin a new life and break away from the past. A little more than 2,000 years ago, we Gentiles didn't have a path to heaven. There wasn't a sacrifice pure enough that we could pull from our goods. Our purest lamb couldn't buy us a spot in heaven. But the same God who created all of the universe knew that he wanted to share the joys of heaven with us. So while we can't offer a pure enough sacrifice worthy of covering all of our own sins, there is one who is able to offer a sacrifice so pure that it covered all of the sins of all of humanity. God, our Redeemer, knew that the price for eternal life was a debt we could never repay. So he sent his only son to fulfill that obligation. Eternal life is free for us because it was paid for by him. I was at a car wash in Hickson, Tennessee yesterday, and it was the best car wash I have ever been to. I'm big on reviews these days, and I think that my um, overly opinionated self comes with getting old. Like, I just, I don't I want you to know. Like, if it's good, if it's bad, I'm going to tell you about it. And so I think... As I kept thinking about what I wanted everybody to know about the awesome amenities of this car wash, and there was a little air sprayer. Let me just tell you all about this car wash. There was a little air sprayer, and so I could, like, spray all the gunk out of those crevices that you can't get to and then just vacuum it right up. It was, it was awesome. And as I vacuum in my car, I'm thinking, everybody needs to know about this car wash. Oh, my goodness. So at our youth conference last summer, I was convicted by the words of one of the pastors when he called us youth pastors out for not offering an invitation to our youth to accept Christ every Wednesday when we meet. After all, isn't that the goal? To win souls for Christ? Why would we not offer that invitation every single time? Now let's think about those two seemingly unrelated <laughs> things that I just said. That car wash had a little air sprayer at every vacuum and I wanted the world to know. Jesus 
has gone ahead to prepare a place for me and all who accept him as their Lord and Savior and acknowledge that he died to redeem them of their debt for their sins. Yet it's been a little while since I put that much effort and thought into a Facebook post telling everyone about how eternal life can be theirs, debt-free, paid in full. I think at times, even though I know my primary goal as a Christian is to spread the gospel, I fall into the trap of complacency and just assume that everybody else knows what I know. Verse 2 of Psalm 107 reminds us that it doesn't matter if everyone around us has heard the good news or not. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. God has done so much for us, and we have so much for which to thank Him. He wants us to tell everyone all that He has done. And not as a requirement to witness, but as an announcement that when we live in God's presence, we will not be able to keep His glorious experience to ourselves. We have to tell everybody. So this morning, while we're singing our closing hymn, I want you to know that the altar is open for one and all to come and accept this gift. Whether you haven't yet asked God into your heart, or if you just need to spend time in prayer, come to the altar. If you would like to have someone pray for you, lift your hand and we'll be happy, happy to join you in prayer. The same God who formed you wants you to know that he wants nothing more than for you to spend eternity in heaven with him. And as soon as you make that decision, you're heaven bound. There aren't any classes to attend. There's no wait periods to join. It is the gift of immediate salvation. There isn't any sin so bad that can separate you from the love of God when you repent. Did you get that? There's nothing that you can do, nothing that you have done, that God will not meet you and forgive. If you feel too unworthy to come to God, know that He loves you so much that He will come to you. Cry out. He will meet you where you are, wherever that may be. By faith in Christ, we can break addictions. We can heal memories. We can restore broken relationships. Sometimes I give my kids all of the answers to all of the problems that they face, and they still make the harder, wrong decisions. It's heartbreaking as a parent to see our kids not take the advice from life experience that we have to offer. God has given us all of the answers, spelled them out in the Bible. He tugs on our heart to accept the gift of salvation and how his heart must break when we continue to turn away from him. If you haven't made that commitment to accept him as your Savior, I urge you to do that this morning. Redeemer, Savior of the world, wonderful Counselor, 
bright morning star Lily of the valley provider and friend he was yesterday he'll be tomorrow the beginning and But the angel called him Jesus, born of a virgin. Mary called him Jesus, but I call him Jehovah Messiah, mighty God and King, bread of life, He's the lasting word of love that I sing. Light in darkness, door to heaven, my home in the sky the fountain of living water that never shall run dry but the angel called him jesus born called him Jesus, but I call him Lord. The angel called him Jesus, born of a virgin. Mary called him Jesus, but I call him Lord. Mary called him Jesus, but I